Uh, the book of James is where we'll be this morning. So uh, today is just going to be an introduction to the book. Uh, hopefully it's, it's helpful. Um, we'll be in this book for, I got like 14 or 15 uh, things kind of broken down already. There might be some sub things there. Um, might not be as exhaustive as some of the other Bible book studies you've received here. Um, but nonetheless, <laughs> I didn't point any fingers. So, um, but there's at least, I think, 14 kind of notes that I have. But uh, as we go through it, you never know. Um, but we'll look at this. And so James, uh, as introduction, let's read just verses 1 through 4. And listen, you could read this whole book, 15 minutes probably or less. Um, really, some of you guys that are smarter than me probably read it, read it much faster than that. Um, looks like it's about three, or about uh, two, three, three and a half pages maybe in my Bible. Uh, for some of you folks, like Brother Foley, a large print, it might be five or six pages, but um, <clears throat> so, eight. <laughs> so I'm just... So, but James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, just for introduction's sake this morning. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ of the twelve tribes which were scattered abroad. Greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have our perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. What a great state to be in. Um, and so this morning, I, I, there's five chapters in the book. Oh, thanks, Brother DeGarmo. I was, studied real hard to get that, right? You know? uh, so 108 verses I found in the book. Uh, any guesses on how many words are in the book of James? 2,304, if my count is correct. Uh, just, I didn't individually count. I cut and pasted it into a Word document, and Word counts the words, right? So, but... When I did that, there came out to be uh, 2,304 words. And so um, <clears throat> that's introductory information. You're welcome. Uh, the author of the epistle. Who's the author? Well, look at verse 1. James. That's pretty challenging, right? Boy, I'm, you guys are starting to question whether I'm the right guy to be teaching Bible study. But uh, listen, sometimes the simple things are important. We need to pay attention. Uh, but James, we obviously see, is the author here, but which James? Uh, that's a good question. Anybody have any thoughts on it? Yeah? Does anybody, anybody want to stick themselves out there and say, I think it's this one? Oh, you're going to make me do it. Okay. So <clears throat> there's three that we commonly know of, I, I would say. Uh, James, the son of Zebedee, right? Then there's James, the son of Alphaeus. And then there's James, the brother of Jesus. And as I was studying this, there's some different confusion or different thoughts on it. Some people say the son of Alphaeus is Jesus' brother, and, and there's just all different kinds of thoughts on it. Um, so I'm going to share a few things that I came across. Um, I'll, well, I won't spoil it just yet, but um, two of them are obviously a little more prominent, right? The son of Zebedee and then James, uh, Jesus' brother. I think uh, the son of Alphaeus is mentioned, I think, if I remember right, only four times uh, in total. Um, but so the other ones are, are obviously a little more prominent and uh, typically one of those two. A lot of folks tend to lean 
is the writer or the author of this book. And so <clears throat> Alphaeus, interesting enough, uh, some believe that it's Jesus's brother. Um, I disagree with that based on Mark chapter 3, verses 14 through 31. Uh, we don't necessarily need to take the time to, to look at that, but in that thing there were, well, let's go there. We got time. Mark, in this account here, Mark chapter 3. So verse 14, it says, And they ordained twelve that they should be with him, or and he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and, <clears throat> and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them, oh boy, Boangarus, which is the sons of thunder, and Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, uh, <clears throat> and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into a house, right? And so there's an account here that takes place. And uh, just to kind of save a little bit of time, if you want to jump over to, uh, let's see here, what verse was it? Verse 30. Uh, so they, they wanted to take Jesus because they said he had a clean speech. But look at verse 31. And then there came his brethren and his mother, and standing without, uh, sent unto him, calling him and the multitude. So we see that, um, sorry, verse 32, and the multitude sat about him and they said unto him, behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek thee. And so I think Al, the son of Alphaeus was there already with the 12. And then Jesus's mother comes with his other brethren, which I think is a good argument that uh, James, the brother of Jesus, showed up a little bit later in this account. So to me, that kind of indicated it was a different person. Uh, as I studied this, and and uh, some people were saying it was the same, I, but, you know, if you disagree with me, that's fine. Uh, Matt Henry believes uh, that Jesus is the writer of the epistle, but some of his supporting verses in that kind of contradict it. people that believe it was James, the brother of Jesus, used the same verses saying to support their argument. So it gets kind of complicated. And... Um, Anybody have any thoughts yet? No? All right. So <clears throat> I don't think it's the son of Alphaeus. That's just my personal opinion that, that wrote this epistle. So that gives us Zebedee, the son of Zebedee, and then Jesus' brother. It comes down to those two in my mind, personally. Um, <clears throat> so which of them wrote the epistle? Well, Matthew 4.21 says this, And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. So we have this James. Uh, this James was a disciple. We see that in Matthew chapter 10, verses 2 through 4, his name uh, there. We, we just read it here in Mark. However, this James was one of the early Christian martyrs, I believe. And he died uh, too soon uh, to be the author of this book, likely. And Acts 12, 1 and 2 says this, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands, to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And so it was clear that uh, the son of Zebedee, James, was killed uh, there in Acts chapter 12. <clears throat> and so that leaves us with James, the brother of Jesus, commonly or probably most notably considered the one that led the church at Jerusalem um, as being the author. That's where I stand today. Um, I would say it would be that, James. Um, if you disagree with me, that's fine. Apparently, you guys don't have an opinion. Um, but So, 
But let's look at some of the things with, uh, about this James. Um, <clears throat> he's the leader of the church at Jerusalem. And if you want to make notes, Acts 12, 17, uh, Acts 15, 6 through 21, Acts 21, uh, 18, 1 Corinthians 15, 7, Galatians 1, 19, and Galatians 2, 9 through 12. Um, but what you'll find is they're very rarely specifically picked out of there. It says James and James. And because of the context of the, the passage and, and where this is taking place, oftentimes in Jerusalem, uh, it leads you to believe that it would be uh, the James that was in Jerusalem. Um, but uh, again, there's reason that we can't dogmatically say it's one or the other. Um, so I, I think all fingers point that way. But we'll read Acts 21, 17 through 18 just, just for uh, study's sake. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in with, or with us unto James, and all the elders were present. Galatians 2.9 says this, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. And so I think that's a pretty good argument when they convene there in Acts chapter 15. And James is there, and, and, and the, the apostles are there, and they have that discourse about the circumcision. Um, I think it's a pretty good indication that James that was in Jerusalem uh, was the author of this book. And when you couple that with who he's writing to, it says, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. And so perhaps he was there ministering in Jerusalem, but he had a heart and a burden for those that had been scattered uh, and, and he was writing to those uh, that had been scattered due to the persecution. Um, <clears throat> so this James, if you believe it, is uh, the brother of Jesus. Uh, he obviously would have grown up in Mary's house with Joseph and, and, and those things. It says this in Matthew 13, 55. It is, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brother and James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? John chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there many days, or not many days. And then Galatians 1.18, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But after the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. And so I think he was a prominent, uh, <clears throat> notable person. And so I think it's likely that it would have been the brother of Jesus that wrote this. Um, <clears throat> but uh, again, we can't dogmatically say that. I found this interesting. John chapter 7 and verse 1 through 5. Um, James and his brothers were somewhat unbelievers during the earthly ministry of Christ, at least the early earthly ministry of Christ. Look at this. John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. His brethren, therefore, said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doest anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world, for neither did his brethren believe in him. So there was a little bit of doubt uh, uh, on the part of his brothers or his family even, uh, perhaps early in his ministry. Um, <clears throat> I found one commentator. I, these are just random facts, by the way. Introduction to James. 
Um, James and his brothers, one commentator said, James and his brothers thought Jesus was crazy. Um, and that's, again, back in that Mark chapter 3 uh, account that we didn't read the whole thing of. Uh, but again, I think his brothers showed up later. Uh, the disciples, I think, thought he was crazy in that account, uh, insane, and, and they were trying to, to, uh, to gather their minds around all that. But I, again, I think it was... So uh, even though his brothers may not have believed everything, they hadn't become believers yet, perhaps. Um, I don't think they were the ones that thought he was insane. But this James uh, witnessed a post-resurrection uh, of Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of the, all the apostles. Um, James brothers were present at the ascension of Christ, uh, and they were part of the church before uh, the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 1, 13 and 14 says this, and when they were come in, they went unto an upper room, and, were, uh, and where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and Simon, Zealots, and Judas the brother of James, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So there we do see that, that James, his brother, and it appears the son of Alphaeus was there. So, um, <clears throat> there's extra biblical accounts that support Jesus' brother as being the author. Um, if you take any stock into some of the stuff that Josephus writes, and uh, he talks about uh, after the death of Festus, Anna the high priest, uh, called the Sanhedrin together and delivered James, the brother of Jesus, uh, to be stoned. And uh, Eubius also has some things to say about that. And uh, he was known, they believe Jesus' brother was known as James the Just. Uh, <clears throat> he had received uh, the government of the church. He wrote the first general epistle. And we'll get to that, the, the date or the timing of the writing of this. Um, uh, this was interesting. Uh, this was a challenge, I don't, whether it's true or not. It's an interesting thought. This is what he says about this James. He prayed so often that his knees became as hard as a camel's. I don't know what all that means. It's obviously not Bible. But um, I thought it was interesting, though, uh, that somebody would have such a testimony. And one of the later lessons we'll look at in, in later in, in James, it talks about prayer. And, uh, but anyway, um, how's your prayer life? You know, want to pull up our, we'll be modest about it, right? Just pull them up just above the knee, do a knee inspection this morning. They scabbed over. A camel's knees are gnarly. Have you ever, anybody ever seen those things? I've seen them. They are gnarly. They, they crouch down the way they get down on and off their knees all the time. Uh, anyway, side note, sorry. I found it. You got it. You're welcome. So, <clears throat> so it's believed that the Jews threw them from the temple uh, when he refused to renounce Jesus as the Christ, and they stoned him, they beat him uh, with a club. The thing that's interesting about that is there's a similar account of James, Jesus' brother, and James, the son of Alphaeus, having a similar death. So if that doesn't complicate it a little more, right? It, you know, you can't even break it down that way, but whatever. 
So it's believed that he was buried there on that spot. And, um, <clears throat> but let me read this note to you. This is from the Bible Illustrator. And so I probably didn't break anything down for you. It's worth a lick. Um, but listen to this note. It says, The Holy Spirit, if he had been so pleased, might have made them perfectly clear by a few additional words in Holy Scripture. But he has not done so. He foreknew the doubts which would arise in the church in regard to these questions. There is therefore a moral in his reserve, a meaning in his silence. And what is that? And he says this, Perhaps by such difficulties as these he designed to make us more thankful for those essential verities of saving doctrine which are fully revealed to us in holy right. What does that mean? Listen, I believe that the word of God or that James is the Word of God, and that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's holy right. Uh, that, that term means unchallenged authority. Regardless of who physically penned this thing, uh, the Holy Spirit inspired it. And therefore, uh, we can look into it and gain some things out of it, and hopefully over the course of these next few weeks, we'll be able to do such th- just that. And we'll be able to gather some things. Whether you think it was this James, that James, and we won't even start talking about James the less and the issues that, that are with that as well. Um, but regardless of that, let's resolve to, to understand that it's the Word of God. And I'm content there. Uh, and so I trust that you are as well. And so now we look at the date of the epistle of James. Unfortunately, James, the servant of God, did not say he wrote this in A.D. whatever. That's not here. I didn't find that. Uh, but it is likely written before the council. I kind of briefly talked about the council in Jerusalem uh, in Acts chapter 15. Uh, there is no reference to Gentiles, Gentile churches, or Gentile issues here. Uh, so a lot, it's really commonly believed that this book was written prior to that council. Um, for that reason. Um, so that puts it, and I found anywhere from AD 44 to AD 49, and uh, making it really the earliest New Testament book. So uh, again, if you have some other thoughts on that, you, you think it was, there was, I found one commentator, I think that he made mention that it was written after the council. Um, I, I didn't really uh, see his argument, uh, <clears throat> or didn't really, I didn't really disagree with it, but I just didn't see any substance there that would really cause me to question that it would have, or cause me to believe that it would have been after. So the, the argument in my mind was much greater than it would have happened before. Um, hopefully I'm making sense. And so here the recipients of the epistle, who's he writing to? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting. He writes to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. So it's obvious here he's addressing, addressing Jewish Christians who lived in Gentile communities, probably, outside of Judea or Palestine. You can look at Acts chapter 2 and, and 1 Peter, and there's some little descriptions there. Um, I think it was probably written after the stoning of Stephen. So go to Acts chapter 7, if you would. And this will kind of bring some light onto who it was written to uh, and 
and possibly why. Acts chapter 7, look at verse 55. I'm going to go down through the first, first portion of uh, chapter 8 there. It says, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, <clears throat> that's Stephen there, uh, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. And so... I think it's very possible that this was written after the stoning of Stephen. And that event and the persecution of the church really began to ramp up. And so what happens? Uh, the Christians begin to scatter. And that puts a burden on this James to write to those. Because they're not, they're not in a position to regularly receive instruction and exhortation as the church assembles and gathers in Jerusalem. Um, I think that's uh, pretty likely that um, that would have been the case, that they did it, uh, that he wrote it after uh, the stoning of Stephen. And the, the, obviously the persecution was increasing. Uh, people were scattering throughout the Roman world at the time. And uh, <clears throat> it makes complete sense to me that a man of God, a, a leader uh, in the ministry or in a church setting, had a burden for those that were unable to be there. Uh, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, so, nonetheless, for whatever reason, uh, these people were scattered abroad, scattered around, right? And, and, the, and the writer had a burden uh, and some things he wanted to share with them and, and help them understand. And, and ultimately, uh, he wanted them to let patience have its perfect work, that they could be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Uh, no doubt they were facing many, many challenges. Uh, things that we, we can't even begin to imagine, we start whining about gas, right? Our budget's being affected. And listen, I'm not trying to minimize that. I mean, it, it does affect us. But when we talk about persecution in the early days of the church, uh, we got nothing to complain about. Absolutely nothing. I, I sometimes I get frustrated because you've got to insure and register. We've got four cars at the house. We're able to gather here freely. Listen, we, I don't think we can ever fully understand that liberty that we have. And that every week, we take it for granted. And we don't make serious the things of God when we come and gather together. Um, when you think of the early church, they needed encouragement. They needed to gather together. They needed to pray together because they, and when, as they did, somebody in that group might not be there the next meeting. Uh, listen this morning, uh, we got it easy. And we ought to take advantage of it. That ought to burden our heart to make the most of this. Uh, and put these silly discussions or disagreements aside. 
and just love each other. Um, uh, these folks were being persecuted uh, to death. To death. And everybody says literally to death. And, and so we have it easy. Uh, we should take advantage of what we have today because we may be there one day. So we should be training and preparing ourselves uh, at this time. And so that comes uh, to the kind of the, the last part of uh, what we're going to talk about this morning. What's the purpose of James writing this epistle? And uh, I, obviously there's multiple reasons. Uh, you could, I mean, you can't just say it's one singular thing, I don't think. Uh, but there's examples throughout the Old Testament <clears throat> that uh, God likes to test our hearts uh, so that we can make or take spiritual inventory of our lives. First Chronicles 29.17 says this, I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of mine heart, I have willingly offered all things, and now have I seen the joy of, or the, have I seen with joy thy people which are present to offer willingly unto thee. Psalm 7 9 says this, O let the wickedness of the wicked uh, come to an end, but establish the just. Look what it says here. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. Proverbs 17 3, the finding pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the hearts. Jeremiah 17 10, I the Lord search the heart, I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. We see similar things in the New Testament and stressing the necessity of testing our faith. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says this, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Paul was constantly admonishing his audiences uh, to examine their faith. Uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight says this, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye, know ye not yourselves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Galatians 6, 4, But let every man prove his work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, not in another. John, in his first epistle, makes mention of this as well, talking about the marks of a genuine faith, if you will. John 1, 2, verse 3 says this, And hereby do we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. 1 John 2, 5 through 6 says this, But whoso keepeth His word, in Him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in Him. He that saith He abideth in Him ought also so to walk even as he walked. Chapter 3 and verse 24, and it says, He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby know we that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, By this we know that we love the children of God. We, excuse me, when we love God and keep his commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. He also tells us to not love the world, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you know <clears throat> that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteous is born of him. We ought to be living righteously. We ought to be avoiding sin. Whosoever abideth in sin not, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Loving fellow believers. 1 John 3.14, we know that we have passed from death into life because we 
Love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. So throughout Scripture, we see these admonishments or these things that God's going to try our hearts and, and these marks of somebody that's truly in Christ. And I think James, he writes this epistle to challenge his believers to examine their faith to see if it's genuine. Um, that might be the broad look at why he wrote the book, if you will. Let's read James 1, 1 through 4 again, just as we uh, prepare to close out here this morning. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Look at what he says here. My brother, encounter all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And so he's telling them, I'm desiring for you to be complete in Christ yes. and to learn some things through this. And so, as I mentioned, there's, I, I have at least 14 things that I found that are indicators of, of being a believer that are in this book. Um, I, James is interesting. I found these terms... So these aren't unique with me because I'm not smart enough to understand these things totally. It says, he uses diatribe and paranesis, right? Those, those are forms of language, if you will. Um, and here I'll break it down because that, that was, right? So any English folks or people that understand that, those terms, anybody? Oh, at least I'm not the only one. Or you guys are just being nice and not raising your hand, but... But the bottom line is you use candid or vivid language to challenge the believers to endure testing and trials and those things. There's some vivid language in this book. And so diatribe, I found a definition. It's a bitter or sharply, almost abusive denunciation or attack or criticism. We see that James uses some of that language in here. And then paranesis, an address or communication strongly urging one to do something. There's no doubt that James strongly encourages or exhorts these believers to make a change or to, to do something, uh, to follow through with, with the encouragement. And so here's a little insight into what we can look at over the next few weeks. We'll talk about response to trials. That's always fun. Response to temptation. Uh, the response to the Word of God. How do we respond to God's Word? Uh, <clears throat> uh, the response to people. Are we a respecter of persons? Uh, and James gives the example of when you have two different types of people coming in, how do you treat them? Do you treat them differently uh, or, or not? And so interesting stuff here. Are you doing righteous works? Are you doing those things that God wants you to do? Uh, here's a good one. The proper use of the tongue. Uh, that's a hard one. Not just because I said it. The Bible tells us that's a hard one. Uh, if you can bridle that thing, you can bridle the whole body. Uh, use of godly wisdom. Uh, are we using God's wisdom? Our interactions with the world. How do we interface with the world and those people around us? Uh, how do we treat them? How do we uh, try to reach them? Uh, how do we look different from them? I mean, I mean there's a, that's where I was saying that a lot of these are probably going to go in, in many different directions, possibly more than the, the original just no, number of, 
of things I have here. How do we interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ? How do we treat them? Um, our dependence upon God. Do you, depend, do you truly depend on God? Or do you lean on yourself occasionally? Um, what's your view of wealth? James talks about that a little bit. Patient endurance. I don't think we can lose that. And honest speech, yea be nay, or yea be yea and nay be nay. And then lastly, the, the last kind of thing in, in chapter 5, it talks about prayer and our commitment to it. And I just thought it was interesting when I saw Eubius said something about the camel knees. I thought that was interesting. So I don't know what camel knees look like but on a human, but they're not good looking on a camel. And, and so maybe if you want to use a pillow under your knees, I wouldn't judge you for that uh, when you pray. Um, listen this morning, just introductory. Um, just some information about, you know, if you disagree with me on who wrote it, you have a different opinion, that's fine. It's the Word of God. <laughs> Let's rally around that and see what God has for us. And what I would ask you to do, this is a short book, really short. Um, I read it in its entirety last night before I went to bed, and then this morning before I came here, you can read it pretty quickly. Please, please take the time to read it over these next several weeks. Um, if you would, read it at least once a week. That's not too much to ask. Because I, I truly believe as we as a community of believers, when we come in here, and even though I might be the, the ignoramus up here trying to sound eloquent, you know, it doesn't work usually, uh, but if you have been in it yourself, the Holy Spirit can do so much more. I can't tell you how many times I've read my Bible, and I just, just kind of, okay, whatever. Didn't really get anything at that time, but then I'm sitting in church, and the preacher says something, I'm like, and the light comes on, and it's just, wow. That can't happen unless you're reading it. So I just ask you and encourage you, please read it. Uh, Make some special emphasis in your life. Uh, It's a small book, easy to do. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this time. I do pray that you would bless our Sunday school. Lord, I pray that you bless this study. I pray that you would bless each and every teacher in our church. Lord, I pray that you would just take our Sunday school to the next level. Lord, that our people would grow through the teaching of the Word of God and that we would be more like Christ. Lord, that we might be more effective servants for you. Bless now as we head into the morning service. We pray that you would bless the preaching, be with pastor. Lord, we pray that you'd fill them with the Spirit. Lord, do a work in each and every heart. Pray that you'd fill this place, Lord. And Lord, we especially pray for the lost this morning today. Lord, I pray that they would turn to Christ to be saved. Lord, help us to be an encouragement and a blessing to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.